0: Hey, this is Ed Diaz, Executive Director of 7117 Ministries. Welcome to our podcast, Israel, Past, Present, and Future. There will be a link in the show notes if you want to follow along while I teach. As many of you know, I've been to Israel more than 40 times, and I have a great love for God's land and His people. Hopefully, these podcasts will equip and prepare you to better understand the role of Israel in God's program, not only for us, but for the entire world. So let's begin episode five right away. The title today is But God, dot, 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 But Satan. Remember, if you would please, the first episode of our podcast, I took you to a a theater in which the curtain had been drawn closed. And behind the curtain, we could tell there was much going on. But every once in a while, we would only get a brief glimpse, a peek at what was going on behind the curtain. Well, that's where we are today. We're in the program of God, and we're seeing that God is working out the answer to the theological drama in our world. Who has the right to rule? Is God really God, or is Satan uh, the one that we ought to worship? Satan is always trying to eliminate uh, the coming of Jesus. In the Old Testament, if Satan can get rid of Jesus, he can eliminate the cross. In the New Testament, if Satan can get rid of Jesus, uh, and particularly the people of Israel, then uh, Jesus will not return a second time. So... We see this drama unfolding in our world, answering the question, who has the right to rule? In Genesis 3.15, God promised, he promised that the seed of the woman, meaning Jesus, would crush the head of the serpent. And we watched through the book of Genesis as the program of God unfolded. We had the people of God who are known by the Lord's name, and all around and about them were the people who are not God's people, those who actually involved themselves after the flood in making a name for themselves, the people who lived under the rule of Nimrod at Babel. And so God confused the languages of the world, hoping, I believe, that one language group, one nation would step up and say, God, we want to be your people. Unfortunately, no people group did. And so in Genesis 12, we see God calls Abraham, who at the time was called Abram and later has his name changed. Abraham means father of a multitude or father of a mob. And even though he had no children at the time, God gives him children miraculously. Abraham has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac is the son through whom God is going to develop the nation. And then Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob, the twins who could not be more different. Uh, And then Jacob has 12 sons. And through that line of Abraham, God promises that one will come to crush the head of the serpent, ultimately Jesus. Unfortunately, by the end of the book of Genesis, even though we start in the Garden of Eden and all things are perfect, the book of Genesis ends down in the land of Egypt. And over a period of time, the Jews are protected because the Egyptians will not intermarry with them. So they grow in number to the point where they scare the pharaohs and ultimately are put under bondage for the better part of 400 years. And so when we picked up our story last time, we saw that Joseph had gone to Egypt his family, the Jews, had gone to Egypt. They were growing in number. Uh, but the, the problem is they were supposed to be in the promised land for the promised deliverer to to return. And then in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 18, we read the first but God statement, which is a wonderful quote uh, when uh, Joseph absolutely helped uh, the situation of his family. His brothers came also and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God, and there's our phrase, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. You see, they understood that God had taken Joseph to Egypt where he had first been a prisoner and rose to the place of prime minister to deliver God's people and protect them while they grew in number from 70 people over the 400 years to about two and a half million people. But Satan is never pleased with that. Satan is never pleased when the program of God goes forward. And so Satan understands from the early days of the program of God that if he can get rid of Jesus, if he can get rid of the Jewish people, Jesus will not come. And so a plan was hatched by the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, under the rule of Satan, I believe, that says in Exodus 1 and 15, then The king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah, and the other was named Pua, and he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death, but if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? Again, Satan wanted the boys killed because he knew the deliverer would be a male child in the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Satan knew that he was in trouble if the deliverer was born. And so God keeps uh, things going in his program until Moses is born. And Moses takes the people of of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of their bondage, and he leads them after a 40-year journey in the wilderness. Most of it is told in the book of Numbers. Uh, to uh, the book of Joshua and in Joshua we read our but God shows up again God shows up the people of Israel are under the leadership of now king uh, the ruler the military general Joshua and they answered Joshua and said all that you have commanded us we will do wherever you send us we will go just as we obeyed Moses in all things so we will obey you only may the Lord God be with you as he was with Moses And so God is using Joshua in the place of Moses. Moses is about to pass off the scene and he takes the people of Israel into their promised land. What had been a land occupied by the Canaanites is now occupied by the Jews. Unfortunately, although they had been commanded by God in the book of Exodus and also in the book of Deuteronomy and then finally in the book of Judges to get rid of all the people living in the land. And again, the reason wasn't just to exterminate the Canaanite people reason was to prevent the Jews from adopting the worship of the Canaanite people, which involved great idolatry. And in our last episode, we saw that the Jews fell prey to idolatry galore, that from the time they get into the promised land in about 1400 BC until 586 BC, their worship not only involves the God of heaven, but also involves three main idols, the Baals, the Asherah, which are the female deities, and Molech, which involved child sacrifice and temple prostitution. So idolatry became the main sin of Israel from, again, 1400 BC till about 586 BC. And I've defined the word idol there for you on your your handout. It says, an idol is an image or statue of a deity fashioned to be an object of worship. The Hebrew words for these statues are intentionally contemptuous. And they are translated idols, but sometimes they mean powerless ones like the word ilalim, the word gilulim, which means literally pellets of dung, and shikitzim, which are shameful things. God had told the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 20 and in Ginnon Deuteronomy, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You should, should not worship them or serve them. And yet once the Jews came out of Egypt and began to live in the promised land as a nation for God, instead of becoming a nation of priests, an example to the other nations of the world, how they were supposed to worship God so that other nations could be drawn to the the one God of Israel, we read by the time of the end of the inhabitation of the land of Israel in 586 B.C. that the three major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, Uh, used the word idolatry over and over again. Isaiah uses idols 80 times in 66 chapters. Jeremiah 55 uh, 55 times, and I believe it's 40 chapters. And the the book of Ezekiel, which we took a little bit of time to study in chapter 8, the last time we were together, talked about idolatry 48 times in the book. The result was that God was no longer being worshipped, but Satan had a plan. Again, Satan's plan, number two on your handout, is the captivity by Assyria in 722 BC and the captivity ultimately of Babylon in 586 BC. Satan in 2 Kings 17 and 2 Kings 25 took the people of the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribe of Judah into bondage. Now, their bondages were, were very different. The Assyrian captivity uh, was one that was a permanent uh, exile. They were uh, stre- strewn all over the ancient world by the king of Assyria. Uh, they never again regathered as a nation for God. You can find instances of the 10 northern tribes even during the time of Jesus' offering at the temple. But you also have uh, the, the, the 10 northern tribes never again regather because of their awful sin of idolatry. But again, the deliverer from Genesis 3.16 had to come from the tribe of Judah. And so in 2 Kings, rather than disperse, Uh, and scattered the people of the north, God, when it came to the people of the south, kept them together and he took them under Nebuchadnezzar's rule to Babylon. And it was as though God was saying, look, if you want all this idolatry, I'm going to take you to the seat of idolatry. So Satan thinks he's won. The Jews are not living in the land. The last thing we read in our last episode was the last king in the line of Judah, which was the family of King David was actually taken away. His sons were killed before his very eyes and then his eyes were destroyed. So the last thing he ever saw was the murder of his children. But God, you know, under number two, but God had a plan. And the plan was to protect the Jewish people from Judah for those 70 years. And in 538 BC and 458 BC and later and lastly in 444 BC, We read in Nehemiah chapter 2 that God brings the people of Israel back. Not only does he uh, bring them back, but he protects the line of King David. You know, in the Old Testament, God promises David that on his throne one would rule forever. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14. But we get to the story of Nehemiah, who is a cupbearer to to the king in the land of uh, now Persia. And it says in Nehemiah 2 verse 4, the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah was a man of great prayer. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, I request that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that's Jerusalem. Why? That I may rebuild it. And again, but God is going to intervene in the the program of God and take the people from their bondage back to their promised land. We will actually see part of the ruins from the wall of Nehemiah when we visit the city of David in Jerusalem on our trip to Israel next March. But you see, God has not given up his program. And even though Satan had gotten rid of the people of Israel in the land of Israel, God preserves a remnant. And in 444 BC, they not only have a temple and a revived people, but they build a wall for their protection. Now, if that was the end of the story, all would be well and good. But as you look on your handout, there's one last captivity that has to be taken care of, and that's the captivity by Rome, which actually started in about 50 B.C. And we see that Rome had come along during this time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And again, God is not surprised by Roman rule. At the end of the Old Testament, we had... uh, Assyria and Babylonia and Persia in control of the entire world. And then uh, Greece comes along in about 333 B.C. under Alexander the Great, and they take over world domination. And then from about 150 B.C. to about 50 B.C., there's a period of the period of the Maccabees, and it's really a time where the Jews are independent of any foreign ruler. But in 50 B.C., the Romans came in, and they were more difficult to live under than any of the other conquering people. And even that was a part of God's program because Rome was in charge when Jesus was born and Satan knew that. And Satan was going to use the Romans to exterminate the line of Christ, to kill the very baby Jesus himself. If you read the story of the wise men, we know that the wise men had gone to King Herod, who was a very, very insecure man. And uh, they wanted to find out where Jesus was to be born. And so verse 18, they escaped another way. And when Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged, and he sent men and killed all the boys who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity who were two years old or under, according to the time which he determined from the Magi that was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. See, Satan is alive and well. He wants to keep Jesus from coming in his first coming because in doing so, he can avoid the cross. It's at the cross that the Seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And so Satan is at work killing innocent baby boys in order to avoid the first coming of Jesus to the cross. But God (laughs) intervenes again. He had predicted he would in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. It was predicted the very day when Jesus would show up as the king of Israel. And he will do that on Palm Sunday. We'll talk about that at a later date. But it's mentioned in the Christmas story. Luke chapter 7 gives us the details of when baby Jesus was born because God is not done with the Jewish people. and God is not done with his program. And Galatians 4.4 4 is one of my favorite Christmas verses. It says this, but in the, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. I want to talk about the fullness of time for a minute because you may be at a time in your life where Things are kind of out of kilter. And you're wondering, is God really God? Is there something that is out of his control? And the answer is no, everything is under God's control. You see, between the Old and the New Testament, God had to prepare the way for the birth of Christ because the world needed CPR. And I have a Life of Christ series. I'm going to reference it in our next episode. But I talk about the fact that the world needed CPR before Jesus could come in his first coming. The C was a common language. And so between the Old and the New Testament, God worked it out that the Greeks showed up, and the Greek culture uh, invaded the entire world at the time. And the main thing that the Greeks gave us was the language. And to this day, we go to seminary and learn the Greek language because that was the language of the New Testament. Wherever the apostles went after the resurrection and the beginning of the church— They could speak to the multitudes in Greek. It's similar today. When you go to Israel, you will see that almost everyone speaks English at least as a second language. You'll find many of the Jews speak three and four and five languages. Our guide that we will have in Israel in March can actually guide groups in four different languages. They're spectacular. But the Greek language was important because the world needed a common language to get the message of Christ out. The P was important, too, because the world needed a time of peace. And from about 50 BC to about 50 AD, we have the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana meant that Rome was so strong in their world domination that no one dared go to war against them. And it's the only time we know of in ancient history where we have a hundred years of peace worldwide. What was that important about it? It it was it allowed the apostles in the New Testament to spread the gospel of Jesus without having to worry about nations being at war and being killed in battle and so forth like that. And so the the C is the common language, the P is the Pax Romana. And lastly, R was for the Roman roads. We will actually walk on a couple of Roman roads when we're in Israel, particularly in the city of Bethshan. And some of the roads that were used to take the gospel to the ends of the Roman Empire uh, are still in use today. They were built out of marble slabs. They were built so that chariots could get from one end of the uh, kingdom of Rome to the others so they could move their military back and forth but in doing so trade was possible and also getting the message of the gospel was out so god was in in the middle of all that between the old and the new testament god was at work to prepare the way for the coming of jesus by giving the world cpr not cardiopulmonary resuscitation but a common language of romana and roman roads but satan was not happy about that and so we're going to see in our next episode what had happened under the uh influence of satan in matthew chapter 12 the jewish leadership decides that jesus is getting his power from satan himself and therefore that will lead to the to the death of christ the multitudes will cry out on the day jesus is killed crucify crucify satan is at work to try to keep jesus from the cross right up until his death people would mock jesus on the cross and say if you're the son of god come down you see that's satan's influence trying to keep jesus from dying on the cross because that's where Satan knows that Jesus will have the ultimate victory and crush his head, but it did not happen. In Matthew, in Mark chapter 15, we read the story of the resurrection of the uh, crucifixion. It says in Mark 15, when the sixth hour came, and that's uh, noon in the Roman calendar. When when noon came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. So from noon until three, the world is dark. The world is dark <clears throat> because during that time. In the fullness of time, God sends forth his Son, and he bears the sin of the world, and the Father and the Son cannot look upon one another. At the ninth hour, after three hours of incredible punishment, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there Jesus dies on the cross, and again Satan thinks, I've got the victory. He did not crush me on the head, but in fact, we haven't heard the rest of the story. But God intervenes. And in John chapter 20, we have the account of the resurrection. For three days, Jesus stays in the tomb. And on early Sunday morning, as Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, so as she wept, she went to look into the tomb, and she saw the two angels sitting in in white, one at the head and one at the feet of the body where, where the body of Jesus had been lying. They said to her, Why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where to put him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. You see, the woman, Mary, got to see Jesus' resurrection first. And I think that's important because God in his fullness, God in his sovereignty, does things in a way differently than you and me. And so after the resurrection Sunday in John 20, Jesus actually stays on the earth for 50 days. And then in Acts chapter 2, we have the day of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50 where the Holy Spirit shows up and the church begins. And that begins this interplay now, not only between God and Satan, but, be- but between Israel and the church. What is the relationship between Israel and the church? Some people think that Israel now has passed away and does not have a role in the program of God. I really disagree with that. And Based upon Romans 11.25, I think Paul says this is exactly what's going on. He says for I do not want you brethren to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your not be wise in your own estimation and here's what's happened to Israel right now we're getting into now the present of Israel that a partial hardening a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the gentiles literally the full number of the gentiles has come in and so if you're listening to this podcast the likelihood is that you're a gentile And we are involved in the program of God in a way that we were not allowed to be before the the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit in the beginning of the church. We're in the middle of the church age. It has a a distinctive beginning and a middle and an ending. And then Israel will be uh, given a soft heart toward God and they will have a a glorious future. Uh, And that's what we will take up in our next episode, Israel in the Presence. In the present, will help us understand the role of Israel today. And again, what we see when we get to the Holy Land. If you're going through something today, understand that in the fullness of time, God has taken you there. Whatever it is, God will get you through this. He is not surprised by anything that you go through. But He loves you. He sent Jesus to be your sin sacrifice. And He wants to spend eternity with you in His forever family as a member right now of His church. So we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.